visible. She like ducked out of the way and they didn't see it. I so, don't know. Check this out. They go, Johnny, make a hole in the wall. So Johnny says, I'm on it. He goes, flame, 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 flame. And by the time they've kicked the ass of everyone in the room, the thing is like, I'll just do it. And he smashes through the wall. I, I would mention, if you're a fan of Doctor, uh, Fantastic Four, they redid Secret Wars, where Doom created his own planet. Mm-hmm. And he, he keeps, and he finds a universe where uh, Stu, Stu married him and has his own children. Uh-huh. And the sun is Johnny Storm and the, the orange wall is the thing. It's pretty cool. All right. Yeah. That, look, that's the first time she's used the force field ever. Right, the Invisiwall. Yeah, Invisiwall. He goes, no, it's too late. It's too late. The laser's going to fire, and it's going to kill New York City. Just like the Terminator episode. I don't think you you weren't part of the Fishburger. Oh, that episode? No, I don't think I was, Carl. Yeah, you were off at Brandeis or San Francisco. I don't know. No, I think I was still in college back then in 90s. When you would come home. Okay, so now we really see the cool-ass. You know, now we see the human toy. Fly. Yeah. yeah. And he's fiery like a – he looks like the comic. It was well done. Um, I used to come home for, like, Hanukkah for uh, Christmas. Right, yeah, yeah, no, I would come down for the holidays. And you'd say, Carl, leave me alone. I'd be, no, we're filming content. We are making fish burgers. Let's go. Put on this costume. <laughs> well, it's something that we – I mean, I worked at a banquet hall, and I had a tuxedo. And we did, I was giving uh, you a lift to work, right? Yeah, and we shot like War in the Gulf, and I was re- news journalist, and it just happened to be wearing a tuxedo during the whole thing. It was perfect. I put a microphone in your hand for my band. Yeah. In the stack was the Gulf Station. You could see the sign. You were like, War in the Gulf. It is incredible, this war in the Gulf. Shot and at the Gulf Station. Meanwhile, I was dropping you off, but that was before college, was it? Or you used to work there? Yeah, I worked there during college as well. Now we have the big confrontation between Doom and Richards, finally. You know? You betrayed me. The thing is, Victor stayed in that room. You know, I guess he's saying that Reed should have stayed there too or something. (laughs) Look at my fangs. This kid's got claws. (laughs) It was always like, you need this animosity. You need this, like... Rush. Now, Richard's stretchy, stretchy power just keeps punching Doom down. And this was the last film sh- uh, shot. This was the last uh, scene. Sh- I don't know if I can say that. He had to come back to do this. This oh. is a big fall. So he's like, please help me. We were friends once. Look at this, man. Look how cool Johnny It looks pretty cool. Now, if you know fire... It is. It needs oxygen. It is uh-huh. a chemical reaction. Like it's, it's turn. You know, all, only the carbons left as it oxygen mixes with whatever's burning. There's a laser beam would go right through fire, right through fire. So I don't understand how he can stop the laser beam. It doesn't make sense. You got to give Johnny Storm a lot of latitude because in real life he would just burn everything. Or yeah, be like a flame. You know, people would be petrified of the guy. Yeah. So if he exists, you know, you got to give him some oxygen, Carl. So Doom is like, will you help me? And then Reed Richards is like, okay. And then Doom is like, <laughs> you're a sucker. 
and then his glo- he slips out of his glove. Right. Shoddy worsmanship. Made in Lafayette. This way, Whoa. Reed didn't kill him. Reed was going to help him. He killed Dude, him. Like, yeah, look, at, look at that cold-blooded eyes of Reed Richards. <laughs> Bitch is dead. Dr. Doom. So Dr. Doom dies. Yeah. But you know he never does. In the comic book, he fell into a volcano. He's oh, sick. even worse. Yeah. There's some interesting Fantastic Four stories. As soon as they, the problem about introducing them in the movies would be like, geez, after 20 years of like, it's not even real life anymore. There was this big blip and all this bullshit. Don't you remember like the crawl and there was that, watch how Johnny stops it, right? He just gets in its way. This is good graphics, I think. I guess, yeah. Ragdoll. Well, for its day and for a million dollar budget, and but aren't you being entertained? I mean, he's all... Yeah, yeah. It's more entertaining than a lot of other Fantastic Four. <laughs> he's pushing back the laser beam, which makes no logical sense. Shitty.
the rioters had abandoned all concern for themselves, for their safety, and for their freedom. Some threw rocks, stones, cans of beer, and soda at police in cars and police on foot. Heavily burdened people staggered out of the doors of supermarkets, followed by billows of smoke. Men and women carried electrical appliances in their arms, and some pushed washers and dryers down the middle of the street. However, nothing, not the voices trained to relay excitement, nor the images of unidentifiable looters entering and leaving unlighted shops, could, cap could capture the terrifying threat of a riot, like the stench of scorched wood and burning rubber. Radios blared. Watts is on fire. Television cameras filmed a group of men turning over a car and a young woman throwing a bottle at a supermarket window. The glass seemed to break in slow motion. In fact, throughout the duration of the explosion, every incident shown on television seemed acted out at a pace slower than real time. Sirens screamed through the night, and television screens showed gangs of young men refusing to allow fire trucks a chance to put out fires. Burn, baby, burn. The instruction came clear over the radios. Burn, baby, burn. Then I walked. The smell had turned putrid as plastic furniture and supermarket meat departments smoldered. When I reached a main street, I stopped and watched as people pushed piled high store carts out of burning buildings. Police seemed to be everywhere and nowhere, watching from inside their cars. A young boy, his arms laden, his face knotted in concentration, suddenly saw me. He asked, you want a radio? I was amazed that there was no guilt in his voice. I said, no, no, not yet. Thanks anyway. Ordinarily, I would have read in the boy's face or felt or heard. Uh-oh, this woman knows I've been stealing. There would have been at least an ounce of shame. But his approach had been conspiratorial, as if to say, we're in this together. I know you not only know what I'm doing, but you approve of it and would do it yourself if you could. Smoke and screams carried in the air. Someone behind me was cursing long, keen streaks of profanity. It became hard to discern if the figures brushing past me were male or female, young or old. The farther I walked, the more difficult it was to breathe. I had turned and started back to my car when a sound cut the air. 
The loud whine of police sirens was so close it stabbed into my ears. Policemen in gas masks emerged out of the smoke, figures from a nightmare. Alarm flooded me, and in a second, I was dislocated. It seemed that the sirens were in my nose, and smoke packed my ears like cotton. Two policemen grabbed a person in front of me. They dragged the man away as he screamed, Take your hands off me, you bastard. Let me go. I ran, but I couldn't see the pavement, so it was nearly impossible to keep my footing. I ran anyway. Someone grabbed for me, but I shrugged off the hand and continued running. My lungs were going to burst, and my calves were cramping. I pushed myself along. I was still running when I realized I was breathing clean air. I read the street signs and saw I was almost a mile away from my car. But at least I wasn't in jail. Because I had run in the opposite direction from where I had parked, I would have to circle watch to find my car.
thousand watts. Our your friend Charlie Ponchop was a glorious blaze. I heard the flames lick, then eat the trays of zircons mounted in red gold alloys. Easter clothes and stolen furs burned in the attic. Radios and TVs crackled with static plugged in only to a racial outlet. Hospitality Southern style. Cornpone grits and you all smile. Whole blocks novi. Brand new stars. Policemen caught in their brand new cars. Chugga, chugga, chugga. Get me one nigga. Looting and burning. He won't get far. Lightning, a hundred watts. Detroit, Newark, and New York. Screeching nerves, exploding minds. Lives tied to a policeman's whistle and a welfare worker's doorbell finger. Spirit walked with me on my second visit to the exploding section of Watts. I became invisible in the black community. I had to stop and stand still when I realized that no one seemed to see me. When I had visited Watts on the first day of my new job, no one spoke to me or commented on my presence, but I was seen. This time, I could have been in a white neighborhood. When a black person appears in a white part of town, there's a moment of alarm. But if the black doesn't appear threatening, he is erased from the white mind immediately. In the black community, a black person is always given her humanity. On this visit to Watts, the responses were different. Neither the looters, the police, the spectators, nor the National Guard took notice of me. A group of young men was bouncing a car filled with white passengers whose faces looked like Halloween masks through the car windows. Terror bulged from their eyes, and if the windows had been open, I would have heard the screams pouring out of their wide, gaping mouths. A phalanx of police slipped by me and were upon the rioters quickly and quietly. The officers began handcuffing the offenders, and I turned my attention to the now-settled car. Its inhabitants were exchanging smiles that I didn't read as smiles of relief but rather of satisfaction. They had come to Watts to get a thrill, and hadn't they done just that? The newly arrested men were marched close enough for me to touch them, but neither they nor the police regarded me. I came upon some people who were sauntering down the main street, casually taking in the sights. They were so at ease in that uneasy time and place that it was obvious that they lived in the neighborhood. Their concentration was on the stores and the burned out shells of buildings, so they didn't see me. The havoc now had areas of calm 
and either I brought serenity with me or it found me wherever I was. I watched as people sifted through debris. Each whole cup or unbroken plate was treated as a treasure. A woman smiled with pleasure when she found a matched pair of shoes. A man passed me carrying a pair of well-worn pants. He was grinning. On the first day of insurgence,
that these have all been instruments that are sounded by being struck. You have probably invented your own percussion instruments without realizing that they had a name as a group, such as beating the cover of a pot with a stick. shepherd sitting in the shade of a rock, watching his sheep, and lazily breaking a reed and blowing through it. And he broke a second reed, a little shorter than the first, and he heard... Then a third, shorter one was broken off. Finally, he had a group of He put them side by side, closed the bottoms, and blew across the top.
addition of mechanical blowers and pipe stoppers to replace the human lungs and fingers.
Woodblock, and you haven't mentioned my name once. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't notice you. You look more like a block of wood than an instrument. I'm possibly the most important instrument in the entire percussion section. Listen. Said the woodblock to the triangle, it's very plain to see that you're not very versatile, not half as much as me. The sound you make is rather weak. I guess it's just as well that you can't go. You sound more like a bell. Said the woodblock to the kettle drums, you're hard upon the ears. You make more noise than 20 boys or 50 bombardiers. The sound you make is awfully loud, and so I must assume that you can't go, because you can only boom. Said the woodblock to the cymbal, you're bright and shiny. Another can of Coca-Cola Don't you ever call me wrong Fred the planet in the 
Sometimes she'd come home so depressed. I'd hear her crying in the back room, feel so distressed. And I'd remember back when she was fine to the words that used to make Emmeline come alive. It was Emmeline. Emma, Emmeline. I'm gonna write your name high on that silver screen.
question. And here you're going to employ specific musical intervals with the mantra. The pronunciation has been explained in the textual version.
folks, if you're listening live, to catch a movie on YouTube with Mike and Carl, the two that I'd like to share with you comes from the Oh, 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 oh,
driveway turned off the engine and sat reluctant to move except for the porch light and a light upstairs the house at the end of the drive was dark I was glad no one had waited up for me the house belonged to Rob and Jenna a couple I knew only slightly my old friend Beth had talked me into coming down here for the weekend promising a great time at the beach a few days ago, I had broken up with my lover of two years, and though I was glad of the decision, the loss of Everett made me want to retreat into myself. For a moment, I was tempted to turn around and head home. They would never know I'd been here. I could call tomorrow with some excuse. However, I never did such things, so I got my bag out of the trunk and walked up to the house. The key was under a flower pot, as Jenna had said it would be, along with the note from Beth telling me my bedroom was the first at the top of the stairs. She'd added at the bottom, glad you made it, it'll be a good weekend. I smiled at the reassuring words. I opened the door and walked quietly across the dimly lit living room, past Beth and her lover Kevin who were asleep on a fold-out couch. Their sleeping faces sent a pang through me. It was hard to look at lovers. My bedroom was warm and close from the heat of the day. From across the hall came the faint thumping bass of a rock song. Someone was awake, but I didn't feel like investigating. I changed into pajamas and opened the window wide. Below me was the backyard. A high fence sheltered a small patio, a strip of lawn, and a swimming pool. I stared at an odd black lump at the side of the pool and decided it was an inner tube. I hadn't seen an inner tube in 10 years, I thought. There was a tap at the door and it swung open. Is the radio too loud? I looked up at a slightly built, barefoot young man wearing a t-shirt and jeans. I guessed he was around 18. No, it's okay, I said. We introduced ourselves. He was Chris, Jenna's cousin. He'd been spending the summer with Rob and Jenna while working at the Marine Center. He wanted to be an oceanographer. This fall, he was starting college in California. Ever been out there? He asked. I shook my head. The coast is incredible. Want to see some pictures I took last year? Sure.
Chris's curly hair was deep brown, almost black, and his skin a light golden brown. His fingers brushed mine as he handed me the pictures. For a moment, I was aware of my breast under the thin pajamas. feelings in men his age were in separate corners of my mind. <laughs> 